Ideas have consequences, and consequences have ideas. If we don't learn how to think carefully, we will never be able to live rightly. So welcome to Think Through It, a podcast for conversation among friends encouraging one another to think through it. All right, well, welcome to another episode of Think Through It. Uh, I'm very grateful, excited, eager to be joined today by Don Carson, fresh off the plane from Chicago. How, how much snow do y'all have up there right now? Oh, about five inches or so. <laughs> Not a lot. Yeah. Well, we don't have any here, so hopefully it's a... When I went for my walk yesterday morning, uh, when I left the house, it was uh, two below. Okay. Yeah. Well, it's better here. I mean, it's... I wish we could give you even better weather, but uh, it's better than two below. So. Well, I was born in Canada, so... If I have to choose between shoveling snow and cutting grass, I'd rather shovel the snow, to oh. be quite frank. Well, there you go. <laughs> well, so glad that you're here, and uh, I, I really appreciate you coming down to Atlanta uh, to serve our church and to have this conversation and just spend some time with us. Um, I know I speak for many Christ covenanters and, and many people that uh, listen to Think Through It, that your ministry has meant a lot to us. Um we're sitting here, it's a Saturday night, you've flown across the country. Uh, you don't have to do this. You know, I want, I want to talk today about faithfulness. And I even think about a guy like you, you don't have to do this. Um, you, you, could, you could have moved to the beach, you could be hanging out somewhere, playing uh, croquet with your buddies, um, but you're here and you're working and you're trying to faithfully minister the gospel to these souls. So. I would love to just hear your thoughts on calling and on faithfulness to a calling. Like, what does that look like in your life? What What is this faithfulness that that seems to just be so evident in how you conduct your ministry in life? That's a question that's hard to answer because inevitably there are so many contributing components to it. Um, the Lord did call me to gospel ministry. I was heading in another direction. I, my first degree was in chemistry. Um, so I planned a life in science. Um, but through a variety of means, the Lord redirected me toward gospel ministry. And, uh, and here I am 50 years later. Um, partly, I... I early came to recognize that the Bible has no theology of retirement. Mm. So I never learned to think of working until I hit 50 or 60 or 65 or 70 and then time off. I, I just never learned to think in, in that way. Um, on the other hand, I'm also aware that someone like Calvin if he had slowed down a little bit, a little bit earlier, he might have lived longer than 54. Right. So there is a responsibility for care and being careful, but I don't see biblical warrant for disengaging from the call of God in mm. pastoral ministry or the like. When I look at Paul, he's constantly thinking ahead and praying and recognizing that he could get killed, but staying and serving others is more profitable for the ministry and, 
that's his argument in, in essence in, in, in Philippians 1. It's not, well, it's, it's, I've done my bit, now somebody else can take right. over. You just don't hear that overtone. So um, <clears throat> I, th I think that it's helpful to disengage ourselves from any notion that, that Christian ministry gives us a right to disengage from service. Uh, there is no automatic retirement pattern. Well, and I love the, I love the idea of just, I love that word you're using, disengage, um, because it's not just, it doesn't seem like it's just older ministers that are disengaging, but even, even younger ministers. It feels like I'm, more and more I'm seeing guys that their ministry job got hard um, or, you know, it just, they just disengage maybe from local church ministry, maybe from something that was hard. They, they kind of quit. Now, some, sometimes that happens because guys will, um, you know, do something that disqualifies themselves. Um, sometimes it seems like they're not being disqualified. They're just kind of getting tired and, and dropping out. I mean, is this something you're, it, it feels kind of a, like a new phenomenon in ministry. Are you seeing this more and more? It's not a new phenomenon. It's probably higher frequency. But I remember when I was a young man um, being introduced to a pastor in the denomination in Canada in which I grew up who became pastor of a church that proved very difficult. And he was so discouraged, he was, he was ready to quit and sell shoes or something. And um, two or three senior brothers encircled him with love and care and encouragement and prayer and so on and moved him off to, off to another church where he became the pastor of one of the liveliest, most fruitful, um, long-term church-based ministries in our fellowship. And, um, and so I've often wondered what would have happened if he had been allowed to quit, as yeah. it were. Yeah, um, So um, <clears throat> when I was a boy, I was told the old story of the guy who decided... He'd invent a new soft drink. He called it One Up. And uh, unfortunately, it, it went belly up and he lost his money. And, but he resolved to buckle down and he made another drink, called it Two Up. <laughs> and you can see where the story's going. Right, he gets, yeah, he gets yeah. to Six Up and he fails again and he quit. <laughs> so sometimes what, what is required is enough perseverance to get over some humps until you come to the place of fruitfulness in your life. And I've seen that with quite a number of people. Um, the, the Lord sometimes puts people through hard times before he puts them through fruitful times. That's a good word. And, and sometimes those hard times can be, you know, when I even think of my own uh, life in ministry, and I'd love to hear your experience on this, uh, you know, I've had you know, I guess four pastorates. I pastored a small church and seminary, pastor First Baptist Covington. We were talking about this earlier, Valleydale, Christ Covenant. Certainly the most difficult of those, and I love these people, but the most difficult of those for various reasons was First Baptist Covington, really my first out of seminary full-time pastoral experience. I also think about it, even though we've had a lot of fruit here at Christ Covenant and at Valleydale, in terms of like, you know, things that you can measure, that they measure churches with, 
those have been much more successful ministries in a sense, but I don't know that I'll ever have one that's as rewarding as that uh, First Baptist experience because in that very difficult pastorate, the difficulties of it, I learned so much. Mm-hmm. And I just felt like the Lord taught me so much. And, and, I, and I, I see myself drawing on that experience. I've drawn on it for the rest of my ministry, for the rest of my, I'm sure I will for the rest of my life. So it's those hard times too that I think allow for those fruitful times that can come. Um, What's also an issue, I think, is how much you are shaped by biblically faithful ecclesiology. Mm-hmm. So sometimes people quit pastoral ministry because they want to specialize in something that's more electronic or something that's more digital or something that's more international or something that's more itinerant. Um, And all such ministries may be equally tiring, but they're not equally demanding. There is something uniquely demanding and fruitful and character shaping about the local church. There is a primacy that is theological and deeply exegetically based about local church ministry. And, um, and, and even in terms of, um, of, of long-term influence, uh, you and I both know some people who have early specialized in radio broadcast ministry or right, yeah. podcasts or whatever, and they may do good work, and I'm, I'm not in any place to want to stand in judgment over them. But on the other hand, I can think of quite a number of ministers of the gospel who are credible in their ministry and credible in their podcasts and credible in their writing, precisely because they've still established themselves as faithful ministers. You think of people like Mark Dever or Dick Lucas or people of that ilk that served for decades and decades and decades. A fruitful Tim Keller, Tim Keller and yeah. others and so on. Yeah, as much as they did so many other things, they're kind of fundamental. They never like didn't understand themselves as a pastor first. Correct. Yeah. And, and that uh, truly does shape pastors. Whereas if what you're known for is something else, then what you influence people to do, to become, is something else. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm, not, I'm not saying that being a senior pastor of a local church is the only thing. Someone like John Piper uh, served in a local church for years and years and years and years but now has become itinerant in his senior years. Mind you, that takes place in his life when he's 70. Right. And, um, and, and th- th- there can be a, a drain at a certain time of life where, where you've got to change gears. And uh, we were talking the other day, and he said uh, he, he, he plans now on traveling less just because it's tiring and he doesn't have the energy anymore. Well, that's right. Um, I have a long-term disease, so... I'm cutting out most of my international travel now. Uh, I don't think that's quitting or giving up. It's recognizing that there are limitations bound up with disease and age and whatever that, that, that you have to live with. But within that framework, still to be asking, how can I build the local church? How can right. I train people for ministry? How can I plant um, biblically-based values sure. that cannot be escaped? And um, I think that's... that's uh, an important part of the discipline of church ministry. I recently read an article that you wrote for Desiring God called Standing in the Gap. (laughs) 
and it was beautifully worded, beautifully done. I mean, could you just, what does that mean to you? Well, in my case, one of the things that uh, the Lord used to bring me to uh, come to pastoral ministry was a sermon on Ezekiel 22 by uh, a missionary in Haiti, uh, where God says, I sought for a man to stand in the gap before me for my people, but I found none. And, of course, in the context, the standing in the gap has to do with intercessory prayer. Mm-hmm. It, it, ha- it has to do with beseeching God to have mercy. Uh, Moses stood in the gap for his people. Ezekiel, Ezekiel is being exhorted, in effect, to stand in the gap for, for his people. Um, so it's not just holding back the torrents of false culture or declining values in a, in a culture or something like this, though that's part of it. But, but it's recognizing that, that when the Lord calls you to the ministry, there is a prayer element and a, and a, a finger in the dike responsibility. Right. Um, you are an intercessor for someone else. I mean, that's correct. We get this as parents, um, uh, but and really, you know, there there is some so much of that same calling yes. to the church. Are you going to be a father or a mother yeah. or whatever it is to these people? So um, there is a component of ministry that is a standing in the gap component. And it includes prayer, but it's not reduced to prayer. Right. It, it is, um, it is uh, saying, thus says the Lord, and serving as the voice of God to a mm. culture that may or may not be listening, and taking the concerns and brokenness of the culture back to the Lord. Um, that, too, is part of, of, of faithful calling, it seems to me. Mm. I think that this kind of, you know, I would say what we're talking about here is faithfulness, this lack of faithfulness or this in a sense kind of lack of grit or lack of courage i mean you know i think there's a few themes we're hitting at here is not only true of ministers it could be true of the broader church um you know i do think obviously is in this moment not just for pastors but this standing uh in a changing culture and a shifting culture this idea of uh, standing for one another and standing for the Lord. Uh, I mean, I, I think I see this even in the broader church culture where uh, people's faith, I mean, even just something that's been striking to me is the numbers of church attendance post-COVID. It's, it's kind of like, well, you know, is it really down 20, 30%? I mean, are, where are these people? Do you, are you just going to kind of quit on your Christian faith because you got out of the habit? Was there ever anything there, if that's the case? Or... And so I'd like to, you know, we've talked about Christian leaders a good deal. I'd love to take it a little broader into the pew. Um, faithfulness in the life of the church. Um, I mean, there's a lot, obviously, been talked about deconstruction and um, and people kind of moving away from orthodoxy or, or whatever it is. I mean, how much of this is a faithfulness issue? How much of this is a discipleship issue? Um, what, what would you say to those in the broader pews, you know, to those in, in larger Christendom um, that, that have the same call of faithfulness in their life? I think we have to face the fact that a lot that went by the label evangelicalism over the last 50, 75, 100 years has become less and less 
defined by the evangel. Uh, you can define evangelicalism in different grids. Some try to define it historically. That is, where did the movement that has come to be called evangelicalism emerge? And are we in line with that movement? Some use the label sociologically. That is, you find groups that call themselves evangelical, then you analyze what they do, what they believe, what they hold dear, or what they don't, and that defines evangelical. And... Um, and so on. Some define it politically. If, if you're for a certain person, then you're an evangelical. If you're against him, you're not. Um, whereas I would want to argue that to define evangelicalism in a way that has any chance of long-term uh, constraint, you've got to define the term theologically. An evangelical is someone who believes and teaches and upholds and propagates the evangel. It's the gospel. Right. And so then you're forced to ask, if you have a lot of people falling away from the gospel, from the evangel, how, how deep is their rootage in the gospel? If you, if you come from a subculture, uh, the reason I want to be careful here is because America and Canada, from which I spring, have many, many different subgroups. They're not all the same. Right. Some parts are very legalistic. Some parts are easy believism. Some parts are, in, in certain parts of the Bible Belt, it's, 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 it's part of being brought up to do your Sunday school thing. How I was raised, yeah. yeah. And it's, it's changing, of course, now. But, but, but a lot of us were brought up that way at one point. And, um, and, and to all the groups, you have to ask the question, but what is the evangel? Right. What does it mean? What does it look like? What's it for? And how attractive is it? If, if Christ is himself the heart of the good news, why? What, what, what does it mean to, 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 to bow before the Lordship of Christ? What does it mean to believe that Jesus rose from the dead? And um, so instead of seeing Christianity, whether it's called evangelicalism or not, as, as an optional extra that you add on to all the other things that make you have a full life, it, it becomes that for which you are called for life and death. Mm. And if you are brought up in a church where that is the pulse, the heartbeat, there may be fewer people who call themselves evangelicals, who call themselves Christians, but a higher percentage who endure and stick to the end, too. So I was brought up in French Canada at a time in French Canada where <clears throat> Roman Catholicism was, well, was the, the state religion, in effect, and, um, and when people became evangelical believers, it was revolutionary. It, it changed everything. Right. And, and so the notion of beginning a church by starting a Sunday school or something was just unheard of in French Canada where I grew up because <laughs> you, you never get the kids unless you got the parents. Right, yeah. And, um, and if you got the father and then you'd get the mother and the kids and you, you start to grow on, on the basis of a whole family. So the notion of starting with a bus ministry was simply incoherent. So, so, so that meant that I was shaped in my life by, by um, visions of what defines biblically faithful Christianity that not everybody has had. Um, so, so that just is one example, but there are a lot of examples where there's a kind of um, tolerance of Christianity so long as it's not too discomforting. Um, right. 
Well, and, and, and to, to that, to your previous point, um, if the gospel as it is, redemption in Christ has really saved you, called you from death to life. That's right. That is a, that is a mark on your life that, that, that will, you'll either accept it or reject it. And if you accept it, it will. It shapes everything. It shapes everything. Whereas if it is just part of how I was raised or good Christian values or whatever, that becomes much more of a buffet. I mean, that's, that's not so shaping. It's more, you know what, this was helpful or this was yeah. not helpful. It's more, it is more personal, personality centric. Um, Which is why we have to go back again and again and again to what is the evangel? Right. What is the gospel? And, and, and I guess that's my point. It's like with these people that um, that aren't coming back after COVID, these people that seem to be dropping out. It's like, you know, it once you really taste Jesus, uh, you know, the old C.S. Lewis quote: "I don't believe the gospel because, or in Jesus, because I see him, is by him I see everything, everything else." Right. It's kind of once you've tasted that, it it, it 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 does become hard to make sense of your whole life and the world around you without him. And so that's not something that you quit going to church over just because you got out of the rhythm during COVID. I mean, it ha you know, there still may be some people that deconstruct or whatever that leave that, but it, there has to be something that is jarring in your life to pull you out of that once it's really, once that coin is dropped. And in the context of the local church, that needs to be got across not only by the teaching, preaching of formal pulpit and Bible study meetings and so on, but it also needs to be got across by leaders showing in their own lives how to live. Um, it's, it's very hard to get across the compelling grasp of the gospel on your life if you are served by a pastor who is treating the whole thing as an optional extra. Right. Um, you, you, you want senior Christians around you both men and women, both clergy and lay, who, who find the joy of the Lord is their strength, and that's contagious, who live with eternity's values in view, and that's contagious, who, who are asking the old Griffiths question, give up your small ambitions. Uh-huh. It's not just a guilt trip. Now, what are you quitting for? Right, right. But granted what Christ thinks of the church. Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. Amen. Uh, I think of Hebrews 10, you know, that there's this charge. We've got this confidence. We can draw near to God. Let us hold fast to this yes, confession. Right. But then immediately, where does the author of Hebrews go? He goes right into, and then there's this community. Let us consider how to stir one another along. And yes. I think that's what you're talking about. I, I'm seeing this faithful brother and sister yeah. love Jesus, and thus it 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 embodies the gospel. It, that's right. It puts it puts this life changing work into something that's visible. Yeah. Uh, okay, so I love this little vein that we're going down. It's related to this this idea of faithfulness and consistency and. And I like to say just even like grittiness in a calling toward the Lord. Because I think so much of faithfulness and staying the course is wrapped up in the character of our Lord. Like I, I look at Jesus, and this is something that I've 
been a little burdened by recently. Our Lord certainly understood, um, you know, you were talking about limits earlier. He certainly understood rest. He certainly had times where he drew away from the crowd. He certainly could say no, you know, to things. But the measure of our Lord's life was he was busy. <laughs> he was faithful. He got after it. Uh, you know, I think of John, you know, when he said, look, if, if you would have, if you'd have written down everything that Jesus did, there wouldn't be enough space on earth for all the books. Or I, I think, and one, one that comes to mind is, is Luke 7, when the disciples of John go to visit Jesus and they say, are you, you know, John wants to know, are you the one that is to come or is there going to be another? And it says in that hour, I can't remember everything it says, but it's like he healed the blind, he cured the lame. I mean, he, you know, in that hour, it lists off all these things that Jesus did. I mean, the guy, our Lord, was busy. He was after it. He was following God's call on his life. And so you mentioned Paul earlier. You mentioned, I remember the other illustration you gave earlier, but the Bible just doesn't seem to have this um, category for... Coasting. Coasting and for not for not using your time, your precious time, in a way that is most uh, useful, most faithful for the Lord. Redeeming the time because the days are evil. Yeah, yeah. So you don't want to turn that into endless whipping of people. You don't want to do that because it's the sense of obligation in following the Lord Christ himself is also tied to the joy of the Lord. Right. And to the privilege of service. Um, but if you let any one of the various biblically shaped motives uh, define you completely, you'll almost certainly uh, have a wheel come off. Uh -huh. in, in other words, there is some balance there within Scripture itself. Um, but one of the components is certainly following the Master himself who... Um, was not cruising toward retirement. Right. And, 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 and in, to that point, found his own joy in the Lord um, and found his own joy in his relationship with his father. And so, and yes. And his obedience, who for the joy that was set before him. That's right, yes. Yeah. Um, and, and, I, and I so want that to, you know, here I am, I'm, you know, I'm 40, I just turned 41. Um, you know, I so want that to be true of, I, I kind of think about our class. I mean, I'm, I'm friends with a lot of guys that are, you know, 45 to 35, let's say. Um, and, I, and again, I look at your class and, you know, you mentioned guys like Dick Lucas and Tim Keller and, you know, I, I, I want us to be that, I want that to define us. Um, and so I, I do just so appreciate your, um, your, your work. I so appreciate your faithfulness. I don't know, any closing words um, to this kind of, to this class and to those that are behind us, you know, how do we stay the course? What, what does faithfulness look like, uh, you know, 40 more years of faithfulness look like um, for us? It has to be strengthened and gendered even by a return again and again and again and again to the glory of the gospel. Um, there, there is a profound sense in, in which if we're busy talking about the 
imperatives of ministry independently of the gospel, then we're, we're merely manipulating people. You could talk about the imperatives of microbiology too, or the imperatives of making a good income at an investment house or whatever. But, but this is different. This is the gospel. This is the Lord Jesus. This, this is building people uh, to be conformed to the likeness of Christ. This is feeding the spiritually broken and hungry. It's, it's seeing people born again. It's, it's building with eternity's values in view. And, and that does not come about simply by whipping people with those facts. Right. But by so so investing in so living in the gospel itself that it shapes your mm. your your life and your value system and your priorities and your sense of humor and what you read and what you do with your time and so on and um and and that has to be returned to again and again and again mm. there's a old john bunyan quote you know from one good baptist to another this is run john run the law demands, and it gives us neither feet nor hands. Far better news the gospel brings. It bids us fly. And gives me wings. Amen. Well, I so appreciate um, the wings and the gospel reminder this conversation has been. Um, again, just grateful for some time with you and, and for these thoughts today. So for Don Carson, I'm Jason Dees, encouraging you to think through it. Thanks for listening to Think Through It. For more information, visit ChristCovenant.com.